Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. So this episode is sponsored by Laura Cook, who just became a new Patreon. Listen out for details later in the show of how you could sponsor Dumpty Dum. This is Dumpty Dum, the show with the reality docudrama that is centered on Lambridge in the heart of Miller's. I'm the not forgotten slap, Roy Phil Brown, and today I'm joined by the totally exhausted granny that is Jacqueline Berto in Sanguin. This week's Dumpty Dum tune is from Helen and her daughter Holly. Wasn't that fantastic, all that percussion? And on this episode, we are lucky enough to hear from six lovely colorinerers, which is just awesome. So we heard, heard from Witherspoon with Angus Haggis, Jenny with a G, Claire Asprey, and from Christopher McKiddy, who's called in before and has the most beautiful voice. Thank you for calling in again, Christopher. Plus, we have two first-time colorinerers, Nathan Mia from Oregon and Lily Boxer. Plus, as well as all that good stuff, we're going to have Tweet of the Week from Purple Pumpkin. And we have the social media roundup from our Katie, who's uh, she's kind of not moonlighting from her duties on Instagram. As well as that, we have Facebook roundup and we're going to be welcoming our new members from our Facebook group. That's absolutely brilliant. But first, let's look at the week in Ambridge from our Sue, the Queen or Tart. Hello lovely people, it's Sue, Queen Otter on the Twitters and another week in Ambridge. It felt like there were a lot of secrets coming home to roost this week, we'll still more of them are being laid. The most important one I think is that Tracy does not appear to be at the chicken factory any longer, but instead was in the park in Borchester, 
So it really sounds like she's got the push and is hiding it at least from the children. I do wonder what Jazza knows. Eddie knew all about what George was up to with the vaping and did nothing to stop him. After all, it's a Grundy scheme. Could have made them a few bob. Eddie is clear that he should have done something and doesn't want Emma and Will to find out his part. I was really hoping for a dramatic showdown, but it was not to be. Rory is now sleeping with Julianne and was missing her, although he lied about seeing other people to Ben. I'm not surprised that Ben had a go at him. I do wonder what we'd think if it turned out Lily was seeing a much older man. Oh, hang on. That is what's happening, except he can't even pay for his own kettle, let alone pay Lily. Chelsea knows about the post box and uses it to claw back a tiny bit of power against George. George really is a right little sod winding Chelsea up and taking Poppy's guinea pig for a shampoo and set. I wonder what Poppy made of it all. Ardil put the cat amongst the pigeons, telling Denise that she's got a secret admirer at work. Yako very much poo-pooed the idea, and Alistair is denying how he feels. It's just a matter of time, surely, although Alistair is saved by Denise moving to another practice for six months. George, the manipulative little so-and-so, wound both Will and Ed up, and will now have two bedrooms to choose from, though I don't blame him not wanting to still stay in the mobile home, to be honest. Mia and Brad have both done well in their exams and Brad is not going back into the vaping business. Thank goodness for that. It's a right roller coaster ride. I hope you'll agree. Well, till next week then, should be a good one. Thank you for that, Queen Autar. So, Mm. how was your week in Ambridge, Madame Bertot? Well, I've been extremely distracted, so I might not be up to uh, speed because I've only listened to everything once. I've had my granddaughter here, which is so exciting. First time in four years. So it's been distracting, exhausting, but great fun. Jacqueline, I'm going to chastise you because everybody knows that I run a tight ship here when I do Dumby Dumb. <laughs> yes, I like to I keep know. everything completely just to do with Ambridge. I but know, you're sorry. Me, but you're telling me that the archers didn't get your undivided attention this week. Wowza. Right. But how's your granddaughter, more to the point? Oh, it's just been so lovely. She's as lovely as she was four years ago. You know, four years is a very long time. Absolutely. And And how old is she, 12? No, she's 14 now. Oh, wow. But she's a lovely, lovely, immature 14-year-old, which I just love. She resembles my daughter, her mum, so much that it's just shocking. And I posted mm-hmm. some photographs on my uh, pay, uh, Facebook page because she loves cooking with me and I've got a massive tomato glut. So we've been dealing with tomato sauce for three days, which is also exhausting. And um, so many people have said that she's just the carbon copy of her mum, which for me, you know, I get very emotional about these kind of things. It's just fantastic because there you are. The life continues despite what shit it throws at you. <laughs> Maybe we'll weave in you spending time with your granddaughter who hasn't been to France for four years. I know. In between a little bit of quarter interaction. So I should do this first. Hello, Ambridge 3962. 
Hello, Royfield and Jacqueline. This is Lily from Hertfordshire, first time caller in and My pedigree is Calendar Girls. I'm calling about the GCSE results this week with my teacher hat on. I hope that any dumb to dumb listeners who received any exam results these last few weeks have achieved what they wanted or needed to go on to their next steps. Exams are really hard. We know this, of course we do. And speaking as an English teacher, the range of things that students need to do, the, the mental rigour they need to demonstrate, the flair, the articulation, the critical thinking is vast from memory and in timed conditions. They're incredibly stressful and so any grade or reward is an achievement but Brad's results meant that out of the thousands of students in his year group he would have been in the top five-ish percent. I think it was interesting that the script writers had Brad articulate that he thought his seven equivalent to an A back in the day was disappointing as this is the trend I do see mirrored in discussions with students and parents who see any grade lower than their predicted target or personal target as a failure. I think Tracy was right in her positivity and her big picture thinking about what an achievement it was. Of course we should have high expectations, challenge and rigour in exams and in life, but not at the expense of our mental health or of that of our young people. This could be an introduction to a storyline about mental health or anxiety in young people, which I think has been previously explored with Mia, but would be interesting to explore from the perspective of a young man whose voices when struggling aren't always represented in the media. Hopefully this will be an opportunity for Brad to pursue an academic career with or without the patronage of Oliver and the success that can come from it as, an, as a comparison to George is clearly more dangerous, but potentially pleasingly and enterprising aspirations. George just needs to make sure he doesn't block the cricket pavilion. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that, Lily. I thought she touched on some really big issues there to do with Brad. But first off, we have to say congratulations to Brad, of course. Thoughts and feelings? Well, I absolutely, uh, Lily, what a fantastic call. That just proves a simple call from someone who is a first time caller in her. What a fantastic viewpoint. I mean, I didn't even understand the numbers when they announced what he'd got. Because to me, it's all A, B, C, D, and uh, et cetera, down to you. So having uh, that confirmation that actually a seven isn't a bad, and in fact on uh, the Facebook page, I think Stephen Bowden or someone put a chart that shows the equivalent in old money. So seven is not a disappointing thing, a good uh, prediction for the future, for the anxiety. Boys, we don't get boy anxieties very much. They're either good, they're bad, but they're not anxious. So, um, yeah. Good, good, good prediction, Lily, and thank you very much for your call. Absolutely. My heart goes out to teachers and, and the amount of change uh, that they have to deal with and the political football, which is teaching, and the fact that us parents do not give them their due as professionals. In no. every other sphere, somebody who is a professional, we kind of say, okay, you know what you're doing. Not we teachers, we feel that we have... Because we've all gone to school, they have the right to critique them Indeed, yeah. and to tell them how to do their jobs. But anyway, less of me on my soapbox ranting. But I and, agree uh, with you. Thank you. Thank you, Madame <laughs> Berto. We are in, is it D'accord? D'accord, oui. Hey, look at me, hey, my friend. Hey, you're multilingual now. You'll be as hey, good as my dog proper. soon. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That was Lily. Thank you for that, Lily. And, and we love a first-time caller, innit? Yeah, we do. Uh, now we're going to go to Christopher, who I believe you said had a golden larynx. Hello, everybody. This is Christopher here. 
Goodness, it's a long time since I've phoned in. Like a lot of people did after lockdown, I abandoned the city and moved to the seaside, which I um, I heartily recommend to any of you. I wanted to talk about Tracy. I've not always been her bigger fan, biggest fan. She, she and I disagree about the spirit of cricket. But what is very clear in the interactions between her and her children and other people over the past few weeks is that what Tracy has given her children is an extraordinary amount of love. And that has been borne out by the reactions of their children and the way they have supported to her. They are fiercely loyal to her. And and I think that will, in the end, go a long way, because in the end, that's all that matters. The other thing I wanted to talk about was Adil. I think it's quite a brave move the BBC have made to cast their very first AI actor to play the part of Adil. As a lot of other people have said, he is charismatic and charming. But ultimately, I find not quite plausible. And that is, I think, clearly because he isn't actually a human being. I also have a plot prediction. I think Harrison might actually turn out to be the son of God. And you can kind of see why Harrison, the actor that plays Harrison, gets so much voice work. You know, if, if, if like for adverts, if, if he tells me to buy something, I am going to buy it because I believe him when he says that it's a good product. So anyway, thank you for all you do. Cheerio. Ooh, who knew that the son of God was walking around on the streets? <laughs> <laughs> Of Ambridge. Yeah, of Ambridge, yeah, definitely. But I agree. I, 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 I agree with Christopher. I think he would sell me anything. His voice, yeah, definitely. He he does do a lot of voiceover work, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. It's amazing. It's amazing to hear every so often. Even I'm convinced that every so often I've heard him when I, you know, you go to visit a chateau and you take the audio guide. Mm-hmm. I think it's Harrison Burns in my ear. As well as having, you know, a golden larynx, and that's coming from a caller in with a golden larynx. He's also blooming handsome as well. He's he kind is, of yeah. wasted on a soap. He's yeah. found his niche. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know anything about him if he was on another soap because I don't see any other soaps. Do you know? Um, no, nothing. Well, I don't ever I... watch English telly. What do the French don't do soaps then? I suppose they do, but that don't fit into my lifestyle. Hmm. Well, it's a weird thing in France. You can you'll have to edit all this out because it's far too much blather today. But our main news isn't at six o'clock in the evening; it's at eight o'clock in the evening. So there's all mm. sorts of game shows and things that go up until eight o'clock, and then there's the news, which lasts for about forty-five minutes with local news and stuff, like, just like in England. So about nine o'clock, you start having programs. Yeah, I do. So mm-hmm. we. I, I got French TV all wrong. I just presume it's all programs about philosophy and Descartes and like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's crap. You know, French TV is completely rubbish. In fact, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I wrote a blog for a little Brittany based English uh, website about life in Franglais because that is exactly what my mm-hmm. life's like. And I have to say, my criticism of French television was went down very well with English people who'd bothered to get French television because it's all, they all have microphones that they hold in their hands. There's no hidden mics and anything subtle about it. And it's a lot of variety shows. Saturday night, the highlight of Saturday night on the big public television thing this season is Fort Boyard. Do you remember that? No. Oh, God, that was a big thing in the 70s, 80s, maybe the 90s with Melinda Messenger, 
who was on a fort, a Napoleonic fort uh, in the middle of, in Charente, in the sea. And they um, people did stupid tasks to get through. That still goes on in France. And in wow. the winter, it's variety programs. It's crap, I'll tell you. French television is not worth watching. No. I, I Seriously, I thought it was going to be like a dusty old Frenchman, Beret. I right. think there is a station or two like that, yeah. Yeah, we just, just jumped off his bicycle and he got to talk about Voltaire for two hours. No, I tell you what, on a Sunday morning when I'm often trying to watch Gardener's World via YouTube on our smart telly, mm. there's some two or three people discussing religion and it is very dusty. <laughs> Gosh. All right. Yeah. Well, now we've, now, now we've talked about that for about the best <laughs> part of uh, 15 minutes. And what else did Christopher say? That Jesus is, you know, Jesus is Harrison. Yeah. He hasn't called him for quite some time. He's moved he's to got... the seaside. Yes. But where, Christopher? Is that seaside Scottish side or English side, Irish side, elsewhere? I, I, lo- yeah, I love it's... the seaside. You know what? I'm guessing it's somewhere cold, windswept, and like Scottish. You know, oh, that'd be perfect. Sun kissed and, and, and English. It's going to be somewhere that's very bleak, grey. But what if he's moved to Shetland or the Hebrides or something? There Wouldn't that you be go. Fantastic. There you oh, go. I would and love that. Really? The sun oh, never yeah. shines up there. The sun it never does. shines up there. It does. It's it beautiful. Doesn't. Not often. Not all, not all the day. Any day. It's always. My in French you say in a, in a douche écossais, so it's like a, at least once every day you get a, a Scottish shower. <laughs> but no, lovely, lovely. But she, he talked about Tracy, which was very touching. And I you know agree that with that him. was, and yeah. I couldn't agree more with what he said with yeah, with, with every word. Tracy's love of her kids is, is, is writ large and the fact that she completely utterly beats herself up about, about Brad and worries about the fact that she can't help him and it's purely out of love and he's utterly spot on that how you really understand that she's a great mother is the fact that they want to do things for her. Yeah, you know, yeah, when it was her, but you know, Chelsea's all worried about things are going to get for her and then Brad, as we commented on last week, that he said when George was on about getting his, what did George want to get? A Lamborghini? No, Maserati and a a Range Rover. A Range Rover for the weekend. Yeah. And And what Brad wanted to do was, you know, help out his mum. Yeah, but while we're on the subject of Tracy, do we think she's really lost her job? Absolutely. That's why Oliver's seen her in... Yeah. Yeah. And she, so she's lying to the family. She's lying to Jazza. She's coming to terms with a crap thing in a crap situation. Oh, God, I feel for her. You know, she's been half rumbled already. Yeah. But, you know, no one's been able to put two and two together. But, uh, Christopher, lovely to hear from you, sir. And us two, Dum Dum Hopes, love your voice, sir. So you need to call in much, much, much more often. We've missed you, Christopher, up there in a... Uh, in wind-swept Scotland, where the sun never shines. Now, quickly going back to our script, it says, two calls then, the best and easiest way for you to record a message or a plot prediction is to go to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dum-de-dum. Don't forget the T in the middle. Also, you can find a link in our show notes, or you can go to dum-de-dum.com and hit a little red tab. And don't forget, we need your calls in by 6pm on Sunday UK time. 
Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes and bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part. This is the People's Podcast, which means us fans of the Archers all collaborate to put this thing together. Now, you can submit a... Oh, God. You can do a caller in a bit. Or there are other ways in which you can support this podcast. Now, one of the things you can do is to go on to YouTube, type in Dum De Dum, and you will see our recorded interviews with our various actors that we've done over the last, I think, like three years now, which utterly reminds me to say that on September... Friday, the 7th, September the 9th at 7.30, we'll be interviewing Sonny Ormond on... God, I'm, I'm dreadful today. We'll be interviewing Sonny Ormond on Zoom. And, of course, Sonny plays Lillian. Now, this is going to be an exclusive just for our PayPal and Patreon subscribers. So if you are not a PayPal subscriber or a Patreon subscriber, now is your chance it's only been exclusive to those so there is an inducement to become a patreon of the show now if you haven't done that if you can't do that we understand that we do have a cost of living crisis in in the uk Uh, what you can do is maybe hit subscribe on whatever podcatcher that you listen to us on and if you wouldn't mind give us a five-star review because that means that more people then get to hear about the podcast so there you go. There are ways of which you can support the People's Podcast. Now, before we go back to our calls, don't forget you can send us an email if you don't fancy hearing your voice by going on to dumdydum.com and hitting contact us. Now, back to the calls. So after Christopher, he of the Golden Larynx, we have Witherspoon of the Upper Lower East West Side. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Royfield, Jacqueline, and all Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. First, hearty congratulations to Brad for those outstanding GCSE results. Grades like that take both natural ability and lots and lots of hard work and sacrifice. Brad also demonstrated maturity, ability to learn from his mistakes, and sense of self when he drew a line in the sand and once again stood up to George. Meanwhile, a shout-out to Chelsea as well. She also showed maturation as she expressed pride in her younger brother's accomplishments, defended Brad against George, and even apologized to Oliver for her sharp tongue. That brings us back to George. I'm reminded of that 1950s classic film, The Bad Seed. If you haven't seen it, please do. It's a wonderful combination of high camp, family drama, mystery, and a chilling performance by the young Patty McCormick in the role of Rhoda. Spoiler alert, a child double murderer and the unknown granddaughter of a serial killer. The bad seed who was brought up by well-meaning parents. I won't spoil the end and reveal what fate befalls the blonde, pigtailed devil child. So is George a bad seed? Can anyone be just a bad seed without any influence from their environment? George tried to paint his upbringing as Dickensian, complete with a physically abusive stepmother and an emotionally abusive stepfather slash uncle. He certainly exaggerated there, but his parental parentage must have been confusing to him, and he was dealt some bad cards in the genetics of the Harbin family. 
Or was it the emotional influences of his criminal maternal relatives? Was Emma neglectful when she worked so many hours to buy her dream house? How did Nick's death and Will's subsequent suicidal depression affect George? So much to discuss, and I am out of time. Talk to you soon. You see, Witherspoon partly agrees with me. I said that he must have been confused, the poor boy growing up. It's not to excuse him of a criminal behavior, but... um. You know, that's got to be a contributing factor. Also, and I did hint at this in my intro when I said the not forgotten slap. I always thought that when Nick slapped George, and this was like a good 10 years ago, and then it was just completely and utterly forgotten about that this was a massive missed opportunity. Now, very, very obviously, a bit of child abuse is not going to send somebody completely off the rails in adulthood. But I commend the script writers for not forgetting that. And it put into context the fact that George says, I never liked her. Yeah, absolutely. And that one slap that we heard obviously equates to more things happened off screen because it always happens in the archers. Yeah, I thought it was very telling that little statement from George. She wasn't all she was cracked up to be. When Will first met Nick, she was not the saint that she then ended up being. Mm. You know, the the person who went along to the WI, who was a real kind of glue in the yeah. village. And you a know. glue in the relationship between the children and their various parents because it's such a, a muddle of stuff, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So, again, I really commend the scriptwriters for mm. not forgetting that because it apparently after it happened, it kind of went no- nowhere. Didn't Will actually break up with her for a bit because of that? They they had a time away yeah. and then they came back. It, but I can't I, remember if that was I, the reason. Yeah, I can't remember if that was the reason or whether it was to do with her children, her ex. Uh, you know, it was a real muddle of stuff. Yeah. No, as, you, as a recomposed families. Oh, you know, it's always a muddle mm. and sometimes it works well, sometimes it works badly and sometimes it just muddles along. Mm. I, I like that expression, recomposed. I never heard that. I thought the expression was blended. Blended. Ah, well, no, that's in, in Is French. Is that a direct in, French? In, yeah, in French. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> understand. the. Uh, I didn't know there was an expression in English. Blended family, yeah. It's a very good expression. But we say famille recomposée in French, so... A, re, no, a rebuilt like family, and we are a family recomposé, so we understand that. So. Good well, call, Witherspoon. Yes, good call from our resident physiotherapist. That is what he does, isn't it? Physiotherapy, physiotherapy yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or, the, or dentistry or something. <laughs> uh, I have to agree with him, though, about the relationship between seeing Brad and Chelsea, that joy that she had for her brother, Mm. And I thought that, a bit like the call from Christopher, where it shows Tracy, how Tracy has brought them up to love each other as a unit along with her. And I, and I felt that was very well portrayed. Yes, and especially as in what we have heard in the last few weeks, a little bit of kind of si- sibling rivalry yeah. when he went to uh, work at Lower Loxley. Yeah, she was, she was horrible. So, but actually... They do love each other, and they, yeah. you know they're just teenage kids, aren't they? You know? Yeah. They Sometimes are. they're going, they're going to be in each other's faces, but fundamentally they know that they lo- love their family. Uh, so, Witherspoon, our resident, what do you say was a sports a sports therapist? 
Yeah, but I'm sure it was something to do with mechanics. <laughs> Who knows? Well, anyway, Mr. Spoon, uh, we thank you from, for calling us from the Upper Lower East West Side. Hello. Jenny with a G from Coventry here. Firstly, I'd just like to say thank you to the Charlotte Higgins show. I enjoyed that very much. However, just wanted to talk a bit about the horror that is George, but picking up on Glyn's point last week about family rifts, my theory is that the rift would be not be Susan and Tracy, but Susan and Emma, leading to the complete breakdown of the Grundy Carter Horribing clan. Emma, already upset at George moving out, will cry on Susan's shoulder, initially blaming Will, obviously. However, Susan, unable to keep her mouth shut, will blame Eddie for condoning George's errant behaviour with the vapes, and then go on to share her suspicions about the postbox. Emma, on hearing her mum knew George was the arsonist, but didn't say anything, hits the roof, accusing her of repeating her previous crimes of harbouring a criminal, and cuts herself off from her mother. If nothing else, it would be nice just to hear Emma in full battle mode because we've not heard from her for a while. And hopefully, with George safely behind bars, this will save the lovely Brad from George's evil clutches. Anyway, until next time, bye. Oh, I love that. I love that. And just shows you, because this web in the in the village, the familial web, is so interwoven that this can play out in so many different ways. You know, if, if, if someone, if, if, you know, someone has beef with somebody else, you know, the permutations are literally endless. They are. They are. What, what a good call. What else can you say? Mm. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I, I agree totally with Glyn's possible outcome. I agree totally with Jenny's uh, complete outcome. So, hey-ho. I think I'll just agree with anything at the moment. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What do we feel about George? You know, George obviously is a proper wrong, and we've said that time after time, but he does know how to manipulate people, doesn't he? He does know that Will that Will is a weak spot, and he can just turn it on with his dad. You know, his dad feels guilty about, not, you know, not living with his son, et cetera, et cetera. Though what I thought was wonderful this week, that the... the the exchange between Will and Ed, and Will says, I know that you love him. You know, which, again, considering the their childhood and them hating each other, can acknowledge, and of course Will's gone on his own journey in the last, like, four years or so, but Will can acknowledge that Ed does love George. And, and that's just not a question uh, type of thing. So I thought that was a... Really significant. But, you know, George does know how to play everybody off against each other, even down to Ed, who's really hard on him because Ed did the same and worse at round about the same age with with the heroin. So Ed is just scared, isn't he? And and then the fact that he says, I want to go and live with my dad, then Ed does an about face as well. And it's like, oh, George, blah, blah, blah. And maybe I was too hard on you, etc. So he is properly conniving, that boy, isn't he? He is, but he learnt it at the uh, knees of a master or two with Joe and Eddie. You know, they've they've been very large in his life. I think he's learnt uh, to wheedle the uh, the Grundy way. So, but I agree with you about the Ed and William conversation. I really love that. I I just felt that I feel that the last few years after the death of Nick, they've become friendlier. They've they're working together. They've matured. About bloody mm. time, but they've matured. 
No, they, they absolutely have. And, and just to back up your point about him, um, George learning at the knee of his grandfather and great-grandfather, he said, didn't care about Nick dying, but I did cry loads when great-grandpa Joe died. Yeah. Just yeah. to go and underline yeah. who we saw as being important mentors in his life. It was mm. great-grandpa Joe, wasn't yeah. it? And uh, was. obviously Eddie. I dread my parents ever coming out about things I did when I was a teenager. What did you do when you were a teenager, Jack? Ah, can't go there. We haven't got enough time, I feel. No, uh, you know what? Give us a little taster. Give us a taster. I once went to see David Bowie in concert on, in Rotterdam without telling my parents I was going. Oh, wow. So yeah. you crossed an international border as a, as a minor a without telling your parents? Old. Yeah, because I lived in a port, you know, I, if you remember, I was born and brought up in the Immingham region. And at the time, Torline had a ferry on a Friday evening. So I went to my friend's house and her and I caught the ferry. In fact, I, uh, we went to Rotterdam for Europort, But in fact, then we caught a train. And I don't even remember where we went now, somewhere in Holland or maybe over the German border. And we went to see David Bowie in concert. There you go. I came back, we'd been, her mum thought she was at mine and mine. <laughs> <laughs> we had, but I don't think my parents know about that even now, so maybe they wouldn't tell that to my teenage, I don't have any teenage children anymore, teenage granddaughter. Mm. Well, listen, I, I applaud your uh, errant behaviour, you know. <laughs> N- none of this smoking beyond the bike sheds for you. Oh, God, international no. how disgusting, no. No, no, no. International no. travel. That's the way you, you rolled. You know, at, I, was at brought, I was brought up a very good Methodist. I didn't drink and smoke. Obviously not that, you know, a good Methodist <laughs> no, at all. The Methodists don't <laughs> mind if you travel, but you just don't drink and smoke. There endeth the sermon for today. Good <laughs> Yeah, indeed. All right, it? now there's from Jenny with the G. Thank you for that. We're going to go to Natan in Portland in the Pacific Northwest. Hello, Dumpty Dummers. This is Natan from Portland, Oregon. I'm a first-time caller in error. First of all, thank you very much for this podcast, which I really enjoy. I was inspired to call in this week because of the plot involving Denise and Adil and the fortune-telling, which has me kind of bewildered. These are two characters who really seem to have their lives together. They're very focused. They both have very serious careers. They're well-educated. And all of a sudden, they've fallen into this bizarre fortune-telling plot, which involves Adil kind of getting caught up in Lillian's scheme. Why would he ever do such a thing? He's totally in control of every part of his life, uh, seemingly. And all of a sudden, he seems to be out of his depth, out of control. He has nothing to say when it comes to this this fortune-telling scheme. And then Denise, she comes in and she takes what he says seriously and she's going to base her life, major life decisions on the palm reading. I, I just don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. I, I, I'm not really sure why the writers chose to, to go in that direction with these two characters because it does just seem so out of character for each of them. So... That was me yelling at the radio this week. Stay safe, everyone. Bye. Mm. It, it's, it's hard not 
in part at least to agree that Ardil, who can apparently do everything, he can uh, deliver a great presentation via PowerPoint, have the villagers eaten at the palm of his hand. You know, he's obviously it's multi-million pound sale. He's kind of handling the, that, the transition from one set of owners to a new, et cetera, et cetera. But then he does a little bit of faux palmistry at uh, the village fate. It doesn't nah, make nah. any sense whatsoever. Mm. But, um, you know, suspension of disbelief and all of that. Also, Denise, I mean, I think it's just a, a scriptwriter's way of letting us know where Denise and Alistair are, because Alistair was completely gobsmacked by uh, the fact that she's leaving to go on a little sabbatical by uh, and being replaced somewhere else by uh, the bosses above. So uh, without talking to, to him, I mean, I was quite surprised about that because I thought they were actually close enough. You know how I feel about, everybody knows, everybody heard last week how I feel about this kind of palmistry rubbish predictions. Mm. I try not to talk about plot devices, which I think are clunky, but I do think this palmistry thing was just incredibly ham-fistedly done. We didn't need that for us to know that Alistair fancies Denise and or that Denise has mid-read the signals because we know that Alistair actually wrote the speech which was delivered by Jacob right it just felt like a very clumsy way of getting us to the point where Jacob says Alistair it's very obvious that you fancy her if I can see it everyone can kind of like see it type of thing we didn't need this nonsense where his where Adol is Gypsy Rosie Lee, you know, to you know, to get there. And I just thought we deserve slightly better than that from the scriptwriters. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, it was just one of those nonsense things. They don't happen very often for me, but one, mm. this was one that, and I I first when I listened to it, I just kind of put it down to my lack of ability to concentrate fully on the story this week, uh, and I kind of just dismissed no. it. So, so no. it wasn't your fault. It was. Just- <laughs> shoddily yeah. done let, let, let's get call be- it they'll get better <laughs> because you know what we praise the script writers yeah uh, absolutely. the vast majority of the time i've been listening to this thing for 40 40 years mm. you, probably ditto for you yeah. and there's got to be a reason why we keep listening because it's yeah. good it is good it is good and in fact good. but that mm. was just a good big the word of the week in this house is chunk uh, <laughs> could you repeat that for us chunk Agreed. And for another bit of nonsense, Denise hanging out with, with Chelsea. Oh, no. Where did that come from? For exactly. Sake? That's chunky. chunky. Right. Gotcha. Right. Now, Dan, you know what? I love a bit of Portland. Dan. I saw the Portland Timbers play the Seattle Sounders about five years ago. Bonkers they are, Madame Berto. Bonkers. The Portland what sport Timbers- is that? Football. Football, American Real football. football, not soccer. No. Steady now. Proper football. Ball. Like the cross between rugby and football. No, football. no, no, no. Football. <laughs> <laughs> okay, jolly good. Do you remember that we're talking about a British programme? Yes, fo- but, but, but our callers call from all I know. Oh, and yeah. in fact, I want to say Nathan, because we'd call you Nathan here. Um, it's educating me because I didn't know where Portland, Oregon was. So I had to look on a map. Oh, 
So there you go. Charming city of about a million people. And I tell you something about Portland, right? Because it's super duper liberal. There's a show called Portlandia, which I think has maybe ended now. But if you want to see a nicely absurd comedy about the all the progressive types in Portland, it's called Portlandia. Lots, it, it's very funny. However, black people were not even allowed to to live in Portland as late as 1928. For goodness sake. That Just is shocking, isn't under, it? Yeah, and, and it's really shocking considering how liberal the place is now. Yeah. Right? But anyway, anyway, it, it, it was set up as a, as a white haven. Moving swiftly on, Natan, yeah. welcome to the clan. We Indeed. fully appreciate you, sir. Now, we, from a new quarter in a row, we go to an old stalwart in its R. Claire from Clapham. Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. It's been a few weeks and it's only Tuesday, so I'm probably going to be disproved by things by the rest of the week, but what the hell. Anyway, three things to say because like, it's all going on already and it's only Tuesday. First of all, I just loved the Monday episode. It was just a piece of brilliance, I think. The juxtaposition of the argument at the Grundies uh, and all the toing and froing at the vets. But the argument in particular, and I just think that these things work so well in the archers because we know these people and we've known, you know, all their lives more or less. And the way that, oh God, poor Clary. I mean, I love Clary. She's the salt of the earth, but my goodness me, she puts up with some ridiculous stuff from her family. And she's a peacemaker and she's, but she's, she's a peacemaker, but he's, she's not the appeaser. You know, she didn't let, Eddie get away with having kind of tolerated bad behaviour. She withheld the gingerbread. Go, Clary! So, yeah, just really interesting to hear the dynamic. And poor, poor Ed, like, he doesn't want George to go down the same bad path, but he's going about it all the wrong way. Bless him. So then, apart from that, George, I mean, he's just unremittingly awful, isn't he? And, like, I could do with a little bit of light and shade with George at the moment. All we're getting is complete villain. It's a bit full on. So I'm hoping maybe we might see a little bit of, like, you know, pleasantness from him at some point or a reason to like him at all. There you go. And finally, do I detect a slight change of dynamic in Rory's relationship with Julianne? Because last time she showed up, he was at a beck and call, he dropped everyone just for her. This time he's being more standoffish and she's being more pushy. What's all that about? Don't know. Oh, there you go. I tell you, here's an interesting thing. That has got to be the storyline utterly from left field. Everything else is kind of, you know, grist for the mill, so to speak. Bit of villainy in the Grundy Horobin family, blah, 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 blah. Somebody fancies somebody and the object of the affection gets it the wrong way around, right? I can't remember the last soap I watched and somebody was an escort forward slash prostitute, of, of which we had some level of sympathy. You know, they haven't come in as that, right? They've become that. This is a bold storyline, which is dealing with the blurring of boundaries when you are a sex worker, because that's what he is now, full stop. And the other interesting thing is, with the exception of Claire, nobody else has talked about it. Extraordinary. I mean, I'm completely shocked. I expected when I opened up Speak Pipe this afternoon that it would all be about that story. 
Uh, yeah. I find it extraordinary that nobody has called us in about It's interesting what storylines have a resonance, uh, resonance sorry, with the listeners. And this one hasn't so far at all. But I have a theory that it's one of those storylines that actually theory. makes us feel uncomfortable. And I'm not sure why, because if it was the other way around, it was a grooming or a using of a call girl, a sex worker by a middle-aged woman to a middle-aged man. That would make me feel very uncomfortable because he's a, it's only 19, Rory. Do we know mm. what age Julianne is? No, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. She's at least late 30s, early 40s. I would yeah, she's a, she's a mature professional old. woman. Yeah. yeah. So would it be different if it was the other way around? It, we absolutely would. It absolutely yeah. would. We, um, are we just, but are we just going with our prejudices about sex working? Um, sex working is a, in fact, my son did work as a nude model for an, an art school and his father, who is a bit stuffy, decided that um, he said that he thought he was nothing less than selling his body. But I didn't. I thought, well, good for Christopher. <laughs> well, and also just confidence in your physiology to be yeah. able to, to say, here I am, all clothes off, yeah. fine. You know, exactly. A uh, bit, bit of a joy, bit of a joy, your Christopher. Well, he he probably is a bit of a joy. He's a joy to me, um, but uh, also hey, he's boom. he's, <laughs> but not a sex worker exactly. <laughs> there is a big blurry line, obviously, between an, an escort and a prostitute, and at either end, the two are different. You yeah. know, you you can pay somebody to escort you to a function, so you don't look like a Billy No Mates. Initially, the thing that a lot of us listeners couldn't get our head around because if she is the age that we suspect, mid to late 30s, early 40s, her turning up to a professional engagement with a 19-year-old on her arm is going to look odd. Yeah, You're best off odd. just going by yourself because you're going to invite people to, to question, right? Yeah, indeed. And, and she you, sounds like a confident woman. So she does. She's very confident. So I don't understand why she would put herself in that position. But here's the thing, though, right? You can be confident and you can be on the top of your game professionally, but it doesn't mean that you've got all your personal relationships sorted. And maybe she's yeah. devoted so much time to her career professionally that she's put aside the romantic, the emotional. You know, she wouldn't be unique in, unique no, in that. Indeed. So, and then that, again, is a reason why there is this industry of, of escorts. So yeah. at least if you, you're going to a works function or professional um, association function and it's just expected that you come with a plus one yeah you have but one. not a 19 year old boy exactly exactly and that's exactly. the thing that i'm uncomfortable about is the age difference exactly but i'm uncomfortable about it in in a different way purely the optics because people would say unless she's deliberately going to these events with a much younger man to say I've got a toy boy, in effect. Yeah. Maybe yeah. she's making a statement, yeah. right? And we don't know and that's anything about which, that, her, so yeah, that may well and be that's, true. Yeah, and that's something which we never really factored in before. So I think there is the, if you just want to have sex, let, let's be brutal about it, right? A 19-year-old man is in the prime of his sexual life, he can go all night, right, mm. And is going to be nice and firm for you to ogle at and to touch and to be yeah. touched by. 
That's yeah, just facts, so. right? Yeah. If you want true companionship, it's not that it's impossible to find it with somebody who's half your age, but chances are it's not companionship. And But what appears to be happening here is a complete blurring of the lines yeah. because Rory does have feelings for her. Yeah. Not only does he admire her, as he said to, to Ben, but actually he likes spending time with her. Yeah, he's putting her before his close friends, even when he's in Ambridge, he's making a choice. And I don't believe that's about the money. I think, I think it's the two. He yeah. likes her and they've got into a habit of her paying. So there's going to come a time when she's going to say, well, Rory, maybe I like you too. Do I have to pay? Or it's going to come a point where he's going to say, I really like you. And she's going to say, no, stop. We have an arrangement. Yeah. Sure. It's one of the two with this yeah. storyline. Well, I just hope it doesn't play out in the next week. I think it's a, it should be a slower burn because... I'm not here next week, so I won't be able to have a discussion with you about it. So I want them to <laughs> kind of forget talking about it until in two weeks' time we can talk about it again. But I want to know what other people think as well, because we've got had no feedback about it whatsoever. Just before we completely uh, go away from talking about things Ambridge and uh, yep. start to uh, wind the show up, if I didn't say this before, um, if you can watch the film Leo Grand which is with Emma Thompson. It's not exactly the Julianne storyline, but yeah. here is a woman who I think her husband has passed away, yeah. but she, her husband was her only sexual partner. She's in her late 50s, early 60s, and sex was very perfunctory. And she decides that she needs, you know, to experience everything that sex can be. And she has this much younger escort prostitute and it all takes place in one hotel room after it's like three or four different visits leo grand it, it's brilliant and she talking about body positivity there is this one shot towards the end where emma thompson is completely naked looking at herself in the mirror and basically going yeah you know and for for a woman of her age and stature as an actor, wonderful. It's a wonderful performance, and it's very, it's quite touching. So, Leo Grand is the film which came out this year, which I recommend everybody give a watch now. Well, um, can I just uh, endorse mm -hmm. that? She's she is my twin. We we're born in the same year, and so and I agree. I thought it was a fabulous film, and I thought that she was. It was very uplifting as a woman in the latter years of life to see her acting as she did following the relationship and the death of her husband. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So there are all of our caller inners this week. And if I don't say so myself, I think, good listener, uh, you've been right royally entertained by the quality of calls from uh, all four corners of the world. Well, from Portland, New York, from Coventry, from Scotland, uh, and even from uh, Clapham. Uh, so we had callers uh, from all over the English-speaking world. Now, those are caller in us. Now it's time for our emailer in us. And we had one from Helen. And Helen did our Dum De Dum tune uh, this week. That's right. And she said, hello, Royfield. Here's a little ditty myself and my eight-year-old daughter did this morning. I'm a massive Archers addict and have been listening ever since I was little and my mum had it on in the house. I've grown up with it. Now my daughter Holly also loves listening to the Omnibus with me on a Sunday, which is very nice. 
I did the piano and the drums, and she helped me sing, and she played her jingle stick. Sorry if it's a bit rubbish, but we had fun doing it. Oh, flipping heck, Helen, it was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely was. Absolutely was. Now it's time for reviews from Apple iTunes. And this week we only had the one, but you know what? It's a five-star review. It's called, and the title is, The Go-To Podcast, dum de dum And it's from Anthony and Sophia. And they posted it on Apple iTunes and they live in Australia. My partner and I live in Australia. And so we're always a bit behind in listening. This means we can't interact as much on social media as it would spoil the plot. We've been listening to Dumpty Dum for a few years now, and I've been an Archers fan for about a decade. This is the first thing we listen to after catching up on the omnibus. Keep up the good work, and thanks for all your effort and fantastic hosts and guests. Thank you for that, Anthony and Sophia. And if you haven't done so already, get yourselves onto Tractor, pin yourself to that map, because I know that that's kind of receiving a little bit of life now. I always get these alerts when people actually sign up for Tractor. And I know that just last week, at least four people actually did. So if you haven't done so already, pin yourself to the map, go to ontodumdum.com, hit Tractor. We don't ask for your absolute address, just give an approximation of where you live. And the whole idea is that other dum-de-dummers can then actually see if they live close to you, then through Tractor, they can actually message you and maybe meet up for a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, or even maybe something a little bit harder and whatever. So it's just a great way of keeping this whole community together. So if we're talking about Tractor and, and socials, possibly meet up in real life, what we can do is talk about social media. So what has our Facebook group been talking about this week, I hear you all ask. Let's find out as we sit back and hear the roundup of things going on in the Dumb Drop Facebook group with R. Katie. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, up my ducks. It's Katie here, at Katie P. Land on Twitter and Instagram. 
Let's start the week with a positive, shall we? Melly McMerryweather said she thought Tuesday's episode was splendid, and Christine Wilson said she was enjoying the whole week. Yay! Now on to the first hot topic. Paul Newman is fully expecting George to follow in his great-uncle Alf's career criminal footsteps. Harry Clark, like me, is looking forward to a whole-breaking bad story arc. And Caroline Wright is wondering if George's farts are now vanilla-scented. Next, the stained glass saga continues. Martin van der Hervel shared some stained glass window inspiration for the twins. Paul Delvin showed the inspiration for the Grundy Horobin lad's window. Then Fiona Jenkinson shared a story featured in the Church Times. Finally, on to Rory. Genevieve Ann Holmes feels like Rory needs to check his privilege. And fair point, said Rob Williams, but wasn't sure which one of the interchangeable teenage boys was talking to Rory at the time. Denise Tomlinson predicted that Julianne could be pregnant, while a few other listeners thought she's either just needy or in love with him or vice versa. While Ruth Paul shared a discussion about two consenting adults and if it would be different with a younger female and older male. Good point. In other news, if anyone's struggling with the newfangled GCSE marking system, Rob Williams asked for advice about it and the comments are well worth a read. Lillian McCarthy pointed out Alistair's now in Egypt. Check the comments if you're not following. Shirley Farron Anstey shared a perfect meme for Chelsea and Gemma to laugh about one day. Sarah Evans realised what type of rock Tony's been using. Catherine Newnham asked whether we think Joy's new bow is a good un. A mix of replies in that post. Paula Eggers showed a video which could explain why Will enjoys Toya and Robert's stream so much. I agree, she looks amazing. And Lillian McCarthy shared another video. Rob Williams wondered are we touching on another early onset dementia storyline? I hope not. Louise Lawton shared a funny clip from The Guardian and an F-bomb in Ambridge. And finally, Melly McMerryweather announced she's been following Dumpty Dum since 2019. Happy anniversary and thanks for sticking around. As usual, welcome to the newbies. Make yourselves known. Settle in with a cuppa and let us know your thoughts. Until next time, ta-ra! Thank you for that, Katie. And thank you for everyone who has posted their thoughts on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If we're on Facebook, before we go on and do anything else, it's time for us to welcome our new Facebook members. This week we had... Christine Wilson. Claire Lambert. Pat Brown. Sarah Jenkins. Philippa Verica. Is that the Pat Brown that used to be all over Twitter and is somewhat of a stalwart of the Dumpty Dums? I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, might be. You never know. We are on Twitter under at Dumpty Dum. Our team always includes the Archers hashtag using a capital T and an A so the visually impaired can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. Also, that hashtag is your gateway to the hugely enjoyable tweet-along, both in the evenings and during the omnibus. Also, try and include at Dumpty Dum in your tweet so more people get to see it, which helps to keep our community growing. As well as at Dumpty Dum on Twitter, where can you be found? I can be occasionally, when I'm not totally occupied, found on there. Uh, I'm at Jberto Sant Gwen. Talking about Twitter, so it's time for Tweet of the Week. Hello, Roy Fields, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. 
If you want an entree into the Archer's Tweet Along this week, I'd recommend looking at the to and fro between people who see Rory earning a bit of money while having fun with an older woman versus those who see sexual exploitation of an emotionally vulnerable teenager. There's quite a bit of discussion about terminology too. Gigolo, prostitute, rent boy, sex worker, you decide. Next, I want to give a special mention to two extremely brief tweets that each made me laugh. First, Sally Ronaldson at Milon Fred used just one word to sum up a storyline. Hoary. Then, our old friend Quentin Rayner at 13 Minute Man got a different storyline down to two words. Toya Wilpots. Both made me laugh. Now to the medal winners for this week with thanks as ever to the posse who send at Dumpty Dum suggestions of great tweets. Please do keep them coming. In bronze position, I'm setting myself up for trouble trying to read this one properly, but I'll give it a go. It's Richard Beveridge, at Biffoprop, who says, And a year after doffing his school cap, his secret arrangement may make Rory snap. Because she's much older, he's now the beholder, of Julianne's gilded cougar trap. In silver, it's James A. at Exeter Dormouse with this little scene. Denise. It's a bit boring. There's no pickle at home, but sometimes you've just got to put up with what you've got. Alistair. I'm not sure I agree. I'll give you a tomato. Jacob says, I'm on the autistic spectrum and even I know you're not talking about a sandwich. And in gold, it's Eliza Bennett, at Eliza Bennett 3. You're a prostitute, Rory. Doesn't quite have the ring of, you're a wizard, Harry. But it was a fair try, I guess. That's it for this week. See you all again at the next Tweet Along. Thank you for that, Theo. Our purple pumpkin, as always, three corking. Fantastic tweets. Don't forget, folks, we are also on Instagram and we're at Dumdy Dum if you want to follow us there. And again, I'd like to say thank you for Katie, who you heard do the Facebook social media roundup for all of our sterling work on that platform. Thanks as ever to all our contributors and to our social media, media supremos, Shambridge for her voices, and to our podcasting godmother, Lucy V. Freeman. And thanks, as ever, to P&Q for their sterling work in the last year. And just before we completely sign this off, don't forget, September, Friday, September the 9th, 7.30 UK time, if you are a Patreon, oh, no. you will have an evening with Sonny Ormond, a.k.a. Lillian Bellamy. And if you would like a little bit of a taster of maybe what uh, Lillian is like in the flesh... Um, why don't you go on to YouTube, type in Dum Dee Dum, and you will see, I don't know how many interviews we actually ended up doing. I don't know, maybe 20, 15 to 20 interviews we did with various Archers actors. You can sit down, chow down on that. There's some great insights, some great laughs, and a whole lot of fun. There you go. That's me saying ta a bit, toodle pip. How do you sign off, Jacqueline Berto? Au revoir tout le monde. We've done a Dum Dee Dum. 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 